It is good to be with you guys today. Is it good morning? Yeah, you guys are excited to be at church today? Meeting with the body of Christ? Awesome. Well, my name is Tyler, as Kevin said, and I uh, am one of the pastors at Westside. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Michelle, for 12 years, and we have three awesome little boys. Um, Tyson is five, Tanner is three, and Tegan is two. So you can imagine what our house is like. Um, My boys just found out what Legos are, and so they are everywhere. Everywhere. We also have a little dog named Chase, which is a German short hair. And she likes to chew those Legos, and so um, that that causes all kinds of exciting times in our home. And um, yeah, But it's good to be with you today. Do you know what it's like when you have a plan, and you've worked hard to put that plan in place? You've done all the logistics, you've made the phone calls, you've called the people. Everything is, is ready, and that moment comes, you execute the plan, everybody's in their place, and it's perfect. And it just runs like a top. You know what that feeling is like? How good that feels? How, how encouraged you are in that moment because all the hard work you put into this moment paid off. At the same time, you know what the feeling is like when you do all the planning, you make the phone calls, everything is in order, and you get to the place where you're about to execute the plan, and it falls apart, and how frustrating that is. A lot of the times when we think about what makes that plan work or what makes that plan fail or the resources that come together in that moment, if we have good people who know their job, we think, this is a good plan. If, if the caterer knows where the food's supposed to be and you've got everything laid out and it's top quality stuff plan is going to be awesome. But when you look at your resources and you think, this plan, there's not great resources here. That person, eh, I don't know if they really are the expert in that area. Hmm, this, this may not work. Or you know the situation, especially in a marriage, where you're talking to your, your spouse and it's kind of like two ships passing in, in the night and you're like, are we connecting here? And then you find out that when the plan was supposed to happen, um, you weren't that things weren't working out the way they were supposed to. That is really how I would describe our vacations this summer in my home. It's been a busy summer for my wife and I, and there have been a couple times where we've planned to go on vacation. And one, we were going to go camping up at Bumping Lake with a bunch of friends, and, and I thought the plan was this. I would do the things I needed to do, come home at 6 p.m., which I'm always late, so really we're talking 6.15. We know that. And... Um, the, the kids would be in the car, the stuff would be packed, everything's ready. I would get in the driver's seat of the van that was at home, and we would drive out, be up at Bumping to meet our friends at 8 o'clock, and everything would just be perfect. We'd go to the lake, the kids would f- play and have fun, and it would just be awesome. Well, I showed up Friday at 6.15 and um, very quickly realized the plan is not in place. The car is not where it's supposed to be. The stuff is next to the car. Nothing is in order. The kids are in the backyard playing. And I walk in, and I said, I thought we had a plan. And she's like, what plan? I had no idea. We were like two ships passing in the night. And you can only imagine the frustration as we quickly scramble to get everything in the car and get up to bumping. We arrived at 10 o'clock, which is the same time that everyone else went to bed. And so it was a wonderful time with our friends um, as we slept. Two weeks later, we figured out how to make a plan. And um, I arrived late, as usual. The car was ready. The kids were in the car. And we drove to the beach. 
And as we're driving to the beach late at night, because that's the plan with little kids, because if you have little kids, they cry in the car if they're awake. So when they sleep, it's much better. So as we drove to the beach, it was awesome. White Pass is beautiful. The kids are asleep in the car. Everything was great. We get there. We enjoy our time. It was wonderful. When a plan comes together, it is an amazing feeling. As we open our Bibles today, we're going to take a look at John chapter 14. No, sorry, that was a slip. Mark chapter 14. And we're going to look at a plan. A plan that has been put in place. And a plan that will be executed very well, even though it doesn't look like it's going to work. And so let's read starting in verse 1. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teacher of the law, the teachers of the law, were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, whatever the go- wherever the gospel is preached, throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparation for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, Go into the city, and, make, uh, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparation for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. He said to them, 
Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus here begins to um, realize and, and acknowledge that his death is coming soon. And there is a plan in place for that to happen. But as he acknowledges the plan, it is clear that he knows the plan. He knows it very, very well. And we see some of the pieces, the resources that God will use to accomplish his plan. The first thing that we see is that God, God's plan includes the desires of the wicked. In verse 1 and 2, we, we find out that the chief priests and the teachers of the laws, they're scheming to kill Jesus. They, they want to get rid of him. That, this isn't something where they're, they're fearful for people's safety. This isn't something where he has done something wrong and deserves to die. This is really their ego getting in the way, and they want to get rid of a threat to them, to their leadership, to the things that they're trying to accomplish. If you think about the Gospels, as we read about Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees, it's not a good interaction most of the time. Most of the time, Jesus is calling them out and, and showing them um, their errors in understanding of Scripture and who God is. Jesus and, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they, they don't always get along. And so the, the chief priests and teachers are ready to kill him. It's, it's time for him to go. And if you think about a plan, you've got a king. He's coming to, to rescue his people. Having people that he's trying to rescue wanting to kill him, doesn't seem like it makes a great plan. doesn't seem like it would be the best resource to accomplish what you're trying to do. And then it gets worse. In verse 10, we see that Judas Iscariot joins the chief priests in their, in their plan to try to kill Jesus. Probably being rebuked harshly here in this moment by Jesus. Because Judas was the treasurer of the disciples. He was one who enjoyed the money. We also know that there's a bit of greed in his life. And so he sees this opportunity to put more money into the treasury and, and to be able to care for the poor. So is the reason they gave. He might be skimming some off the top. We don't know. But there's a, he, he's frustrated in this moment. And so he goes and he joins the plan of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And we see that God's plan does include the desires of the wicked. If we think back through the Old Testament, we see this often. Think about Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac. Isaac's the son of Abraham, right? So we're at the end of Genesis. And Joseph is Jacob's, one of his favorite sons. And, and Jacob has just given Joseph this beautiful robe. And his, his 11 brothers are frustrated by this. They want a robe. They want to be the favorite. They want that recognition. And so what do they do? Well, they take Joseph off and they plan to kill him. They back away from their plan, and instead they sell him into slavery. Joseph ends up in Egypt, and we know the story. He, he goes to Potiphar's house. And while in Potiphar's home, he shows that he has a lot of skill and ability. He ends up running the home and then accused of something that he didn't do, ends up in jail. Now, in jail, he, he knows dreams. He gets pulled out of um, jail by Pharaoh and placed over uh, the runnings of the nation of Egypt, because he has a plan. Pharaoh now knows that there's a famine coming. And in the middle of this famine, Pharaoh says, or Joseph says, there's a way to avoid it. There's seven years until the famine's going to happen. So if we save our food, we're going to be able to get through, this, get through this famine and everyone will be okay. And so they do that. They execute the plan. When the famine comes, the people of Egypt, they have food. 
The people from the surrounding countryside don't, so they come to Egypt. And we know that Joseph's family comes to Egypt to get some of this food that Pharaoh has saved in his storehouses. So they come and they sit before Joseph, not knowing that it's Joseph. And in that moment, there's, there's this amazing thing that happens. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. They're afraid, but Joseph offers forgiveness. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God's plan includes the desires of the wicked, the things that seem wrong, the things that seem like they are completely out of line to accomplish the plan. God can use those things. He does in this case with Joseph. We also think about the Assyrians as they come in around the nation of Israel to, to defeat them. And actually they do. They take the northern kingdom of Israel off into exile and we really never see them again. And then they come down around the kingdom of Judah. King Hezekiah falls before the Lord and repents. And God kills the nation of Assyria, redeeming the kingdom of Judah from them. But God used Assyria to bring the kingdom of Judah back into worship of him. We know that that doesn't last very long because then comes Babylon who takes the nation off into exile. And God uses that exile to bring Ezra and Nehemiah where the temple is rebuilt and the city is, is reestablished. And in that moment, we see that God's plan from Genesis, from the fallen Genesis all the way until this moment is being fulfilled. He has said there will be one who comes and will do battle with the snake. There's going to be one who will come to rescue my people from slavery to sin and bondage to this world. And the plan is being carried out. When we get back to Mark chapter 14, we see that the the plan is about to be fulfilled and that the king is prepared. God's plan includes the desires of the wicked. God's plan also includes the desires of the confused. We see in verse 4 that those present see this lady come in and do this beautiful thing for Jesus, and they don't get it. They've seen Jesus throughout his ministry heal the sick and give blind people their sight. The deaf can hear, the lame can walk. There's all these things that Jesus has done. He has told them about helping the poor often. That has been a big part of his teaching. And so when she walks in and she does this beautiful thing for them, they're they're focused on this part of the plan. But Jesus has also been telling uh, his disciples that he must die. That there is a reason that he is here. And it's not just to help the sick who are physically sick, and those who are blind, physically blind. But he came to do some amazing spiritual work, and so he has told them, I must die. This is part of the plan, and the disciples are a bit confused. This lady comes in to prepare his body for his burial, and they rebuke her harshly. But God's plan does include the confused. Think about Peter, when Jesus first tells him, the Son of Man is going to have to die. What does he say? No, 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 Jesus. And he rebukes Jesus. And then Jesus rebukes him back and says, Satan behind me. He says, no, this has to happen. This is part of God's plan. Peter also, at the end, just here in a few days, he rejects Jesus three times. He doesn't get it. This is part of what needs to happen for God's plan to be fulfilled. God's plan includes the confused Thomas. After Jesus is resurrected, he says, I won't believe Not until I see his body and I put my hand um, in his side and my fingers in his hands. I've got to see this for myself. He didn't get it that Jesus would die and then raise again to offer 
that hope of eternal life. He was confused. But even in this moment, we see that God's plan includes the confused, which is great news for us. Because I don't always get it. I'm often confused in life, and I know that many of you join me in that. There are a few of you who, who have got it down. But we, we get confused often. And to know that in the midst of even our wicked moments or our moments of confusion, God can use us. When we're surrounded by times in our life when it just doesn't make sense. God, I thought that it was supposed to go this way. I don't get it. Why do these things keep happening to me, these hurts and these pains? Why do I have to have this surgery? Or why did that thing happen financially? I don't get it. God can use us even when we're confused to accomplish his plan. The last thing that we see here about the things that God will use as resources is that God's plan includes the righteous. We see this lady come in and she does something beautiful for Jesus. She understands what is about to happen and we don't know that she knows that Jesus is going to die, but she's used in a very powerful way in Jesus' life. She comes in carrying this alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume. We read here in the text that it's worth about a year's wages. And so if you do the math, the amount of money you make in a year, she's holding that in a jar. She breaks the jar and pours it over Jesus' head. What an amazing thing. As the perfume rolls down his head and over his face, onto his shoulders, that perfume would have absorbed into his skin. And this is something that I was thinking about this week. We know that this is happening two days before Passover. Passover night is the day that Jesus is arrested. The next day he's crucified on a cross. Really expensive perfume seems to linger for a while. And so I wonder, when Jesus hung on the cross, did he smell of this sweet perfume? Did this fragrance continue to pour off his body as he died for you and me. What an amazing thing that this lady did for him. When his body went into the grave, did he already smell of the perfume that she put on his body? God's plan includes the righteous. We see it throughout scripture where after the disciples go and they finally get it, the Holy Spirit comes on them. They powerfully move to declare the gospel. God uses the righteous God can transform the wicked to righteous. We see that in the Apostle Paul, He's, who is Saul, and then persecuting the church, and then ends up in Damascus, where he puts his faith in Christ. And he is God's chosen implement to take the gospel to the Gentiles. God's plan includes the righteous. The resources to accomplish God's plan are here, in this moment. We have the wicked, we have the confused, we have the righteous. It doesn't necessarily seem like the best set of resources, but it are the resources that God needs to accomplish his plan. And so we see here that the king, Jesus, he's prepared. He's ready. And in verse 8, we read Jesus speaking of what this woman did. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Jesus He has what he needs. He has people who want to kill him so that he can be sacrificed. He he has people who want to follow him so that the message can continue to go forward. 
He has everything that he needs in this moment. And he is clear, I'm going to die. The timeline that's here in Mark, in three days, he's going to die. And he's clear about that. He's ready. He's prepared. The king is prepared to accomplish the plan that God has given him. The other thing is that Jesus knows the plan. He knows the details. In verse 12, we read that the festival of unleavened bread, uh, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, it was there, and the disciples come to Jesus, and they say, where are we going to celebrate? And this story that Jesus says, it's hard for me to believe that Jesus had walked through Jerusalem and set up the plans. It's like miraculously God had had shown him this because the disciples were with him. They would have known. They wouldn't have came and asked. They would have said, hey, we're going to go do that thing we set up. But they come to him and it's like, what's up? What are we going to do? And Jesus says, well, go into the city and there will be a man carrying a jar. Okay, that makes, that's good. And then go to the owner of the house and and ask this question, right? And, And he says that there will be a large room upstairs furnished and ready. Make preparations there. Could you imagine, like, Jesus, we've been with you. You didn't set that up. At least in my thinking, I can't imagine that he had set that up. But the disciples, they left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. That's awesome. Jesus knows the details of the plan. The king is prepared, and he knows what is coming. He knows the plan. And then we see that Jesus reveals the plan. In verse 18, he says, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. He knows that someone is going to give him up. He is going to be turned over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. It says in verse 21, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. There's been this plan in place for a long time. It begins, we begin to hear about it at the fall in Genesis 3. And we hear about it throughout scriptures as the prophets come and speak about this, as, as God tries to share with his people what's about to happen. And Jesus says, all of those things that are written about me, they're about to happen. It's going to happen right now. And so he begins to share with them a little bit more. It says in verse 22, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. Take it. This is my body. This, this piece of bread that he has broke. This is my body that will break for you so that you can be healed. This, this body of mine will be given in your place. Then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus knows what's coming. There's a plan in place. The king is prepared. He's ready to go to the cross. And then he communicates with his disciples. Here's the plan. And he reveals it to them. My body is going to break. My blood will pour out. And that is going to happen so that you all can be forgiven of your sin and be right with God. Through faith in that. In that sacrifice. He says, this is the plan. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 puts it this way. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, 
which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is my cup. Uh, This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Jesus in Mark 14 establishes this thing that we follow as the church, this ordinance that the church does to remember what Jesus did for us. We remember that Jesus, being fully God and fully man, came to the world that he created. Rather than destroying us in our rebellion, he came down in love when he saw the death, decay, and destruction caused by sin. He lived a perfect life so that he could be the perfect spotless lamb. It's interesting to me that this happens at Passover. Well, it's not that interesting because Jesus is fulfilling the Passover. Remember back in the Exodus when when God had done those plagues and he's like, I'm going to bring you out of bondage to slavery in Egypt. I'm going to rescue from that. And he does the different plagues and then he says, okay, there's one more. And he comes to the Israelites and he says, take a perfect spotless lamb and kill it. Eat it this way great amount of detail. Take the blood and put it on the doorposts of the house because tonight the angel of death will come. And when he sees the blood on the doorpost, he will pass over your home. But if there's not blood on the doorpost, the oldest son in the house is going to die. And so the Israelites, they obey God. They put the blood on the doorpost. The angel of death passes over the Israelites but hits Egypt hard. And Pharaoh says, finally, get out. It's time to go. Jesus in this moment at the Passover meal says, you know that little lamb that you guys have been killing for centuries? No longer do you need to do that. I'm the lamb. I'm the lamb of God. I came to this world to live a perfect life so I could be that perfect spotless lamb to fulfill what was being done there forever. No more does a lamb need to die because I'm going to. He then went to the cross and his body was broken. His blood poured out. And it's in that moment that he took on the sins of the world, past, present, and future. He paid the punishment that you and I deserve to accomplish the plan that God had for us. He was buried and then three days later rose from the dead, conquering death, taking our shame away, covering our guilt. In that moment, he made us right before God. He accomplishes the plan. In Mark 14, we see that he is prepared. He's ready. All the resources are in place. The plan to kill him as a sacrifice is there. The plan for people to follow him is there. The plan for people to take the message further is there. The king is prepared. And he has fulfilled the prophecies of God. And he's ready to go to the cross. The king is prepared. The final question, maybe the question that I have for you today is, are you? Are you prepared? The first step in preparation to be the part of God's plan that he has called you to be is faith in that sacrifice that Jesus offered on the cross that day. But you know, walking with Jesus is not about saying, yeah, I like that. It's a good idea. Jesus, Jesus is a good man, a good teacher, maybe even a prophet. To be the part of the plan that God has called us to be is so much more We have to submit to Jesus as our king. And the thing about a king is that they carry a sword. Yes, the sword is there to defend 
his people. But the sword is also there to bring punishment. Our king is not just our homeboy, someone that we enjoy having around when it's convenient. Our king is our king. And when he tells us to do things, we obey. And so the first part of being prepared as the king is prepared is to submit to our king. Have we submitted completely before our king and follow him in every aspect of our life? Because if we have done that, if, if we have submitted to the king, we pick up the next part, the mission. The mission is to, to serve the poor. The disciples had picked up on that. As Jesus lives out his life, he see, they, the disciples see Jesus care for the poor. They saw people receive their sight. Deaf people receive hearing. He saw lame people walk. He saw masses of people fed. He saw all, the disciples saw Jesus do all kinds of amazing things as he served the poor. In this text, the poor are those that are monetarily without resources. In our present reality, as we serve the poor, yes, there are people who need stuff. But there are also people who need Jesus. And there are spiritually poor and bankrupt people around us all, the, all over the place. And they need to be served in the name of Jesus. Our part of the mission as we serve our king is to serve the poor. Jesus, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment in all the law? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He said, the second commandment is like it. To serve your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commands. And if we're going to serve our king, we're going to obey him. And he has called us to a mission to serve the poor. The disciples understood that. But here's the reality. The disciples were about to see Jesus die and he was going to leave them. And he says, you're always going to have the poor with you. They will always be there and you can help them anytime you want. For us, it's true. The poor will always be with us until Jesus returns. And we see that Jesus even acknowledges that in verse 25. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. There is a future hope that we have as people who have submitted to the king. And we have that amount of time to do the things that he's called us to do. The poor will be with us until Jesus comes again. And when he comes again, our role in serving the poor will be done. We have this short time. And so as people who follow Jesus, as his disciples and his servants, are we prepared? Have we submitted to our king, knowing that he has a plan? And regardless of the way things look in our life, we know that the king is powerful and sovereign enough to fulfill his plan. He will make it happen. And so we submit to him. And we do the things he's called us to do, even though it's not fun. And it's difficult at times. And it means that we have to lay down the things that we desire and the things that we want so that we can serve our king. But regardless of the cost that we have to pay, it will never be the cost that he had to pay when he went to the cross. And so are we submitted to our king? Are we fulfilling the commands that he's put in our life as we look forward to a future hope of our king returning and to taking his church and establishing his kingdom 
and being in his presence forever. The king is prepared. Are you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you sent your son. That you sent your son to live a perfect life. To be that perfect spotless lamb for us. Thank you that you are powerful enough and in control enough to fulfill your plan even when it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Thank you that you love us and care for us. Thank you that you were prepared. Lord, I pray that we would be as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to take just a few moments um, to pray. Do that uh, in your own way. If you need to open your Bible or write some things down or kneel or sit or stand, whatever that looks like. But we're going to take just a few moments to interact with what God would do in our lives and our hearts right now.